Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Come with me in your Bibles to Timothy 3.16. The title of my message this morning is Bible Mythbusters. I'm pretty sure, yes, Bible Mythbusters. And, uh, and the reason, the reason I'm, I'm kind of chose this title is if I was honest with you, if I was honest with you, I've been just over the last couple of months hearing some like things that just trigger me. I just get disturbed when I'm hearing this stuff, and it's coming out of Christian mouths, Pastor Natalie. I'm like, what the heck? So come with me, 2 Timothy 3.16. This is one of the Bible verses we, that was mandatory for Bible memorization when I was in Bible college. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture, not just, well, you know, Pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, Pastor, that's under the law. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. To reproof something means to reprove it, to reprove it, to reproof for correction. Oh, hang on, it's a little, you know, you got to correct. You're steering sometimes just for correction, for instruction. In righteousness. So let me give you three, three myths today that I've been hearing. There's a, there, there was a slew, but I had to choose three. I had to land on three. So the first one, myth number one, is there is only one Savior. Now, this one, I'm, I'm intentionally opening with this because it's provocative. <laughs> I know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. No one comes to the Father but by Him. The reason I'm saying this is because I'm hearing... Uh, Christians have a go at what they call Christian nationalists. And they're like, there's these Christian nationalists and they wear Trump bracelets. <laughs> and they're putting their faith in President Trump like he's just, there's only one savior, Jesus. <laughs> so let me just let me just explain something from the Bible. Let me explain something. Yes, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Hamashiach. He is the Messiah. The Bible says, which is important, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the shadows and all the types. So if Jesus is a Savior, you will find that the Bible has many Saviors. For example, Joseph was a Savior. Had Joseph not been sent to Egypt, had Joseph not been down there in Egypt and faithful to God in part of his house, faithful to God in the prison, and then elevated into privilege and position in the palace, but still faithful to God in the palace of Pharaoh with all the accoutrements, with all the delicacies, with all the opulence. And yet he was faithful to God because of his faithfulness to God. 
He saw 14 years into the future. He saw seven years of plenty and he saw seven years of famine. And he said, this is what the word of the Lord is. There's, there's a, a famine coming that is unlike anything the world has ever experienced. So what we need to do in these seven years of plenty is we need to store up, store up so that we can get through the seven years of famine. Had Joseph not have been there, Israel would have perished in the wilderness. Judah would have died and the Messiah would not have come. Joseph went ahead of them to preserve Israel and specifically Judah because Jesus is the lion of the, he was the descendant of Judah. David had, so, so, so Joseph was a savior to his generation. Not long after that, Moses rose up and Moses, the Bible says, saved his people from the hand of Pharaoh. For someone to save their people means that they are a savior. So Moses was a savior. He stood and went toe to toe with Pharaoh, not just Pharaoh. Pharaoh wasn't just a man. You need to understand that no man or woman is just a man or a woman. Every man or a woman, especially as they get elevated in position, will come under a spirit. And if they reject the spirit of God, then you better believe the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the devil will operate through them. That's why we get engaged in politics. The reason we get engaged in politics is because the Bible says all authority comes from God. All authority, every authority position comes from God. But not everybody who occupies those positions of authority are godly people. Let, let me just help you understand that. The Bible says that God spoke to Joseph in a dream. Spoke to Joseph in a dream. And he says, take the young baby Jesus that's just been born, that just had the, the, the magi, the magi come and giving gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Take the young child and flee to Egypt, for Herod is seeking him to destroy his life. To destroy his life. Wouldn't it be easier for God to just strike Pharaoh, uh, strike Herod? It'd be so much easier for God to just strike, I thought God can do anything. You need to understand that we live in a world where God will not violate free will. Where God respects authority even though wicked men are in authority. So wicked that they want to wipe out the Mashiach. They want to wipe out Jesus. They want to wipe out the Messiah. So God says to Joseph, you need to go. You need to flee and hide down in Egypt. And the Bible says, and when... When Herod died, the angel of the Lord came back to Joseph and said, you're safe to return. That Herod is dead. But when they heard that his son was now ruling in his place, they, instead of going back to Jerusalem, they went and they lived in the, the outskirts of Galilee uh, in, in a little town called Nazareth. So that it would be known that Jesus was a Nazarene. But isn't it interesting that God doesn't smite uh, Herod say, hey, it doesn't matter who's on the throne. Whatever I want happens. So, so we understand that, that, that there, are, there are people in authority that are wicked. So when you ask a, a Gavin Newsom, he'll arrogantly respond on why parents shouldn't be told by their teachers what they're being taught in public schools. 
and he'll go on about, you know, it's 1%, it's 1%, 100% of the population are uh, suffering climate change. Can I just tell you about climate change? Yeah. Fairy tale, fairy tale, <laughs> lie, lie. It's, 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 it's the greatest fabrication of all time. Greatest fabrication. And, and the, 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 the Democrat Party can only fix fictitious problems. Can't fix a border, can't fix a gate, can't fix homelessness, can't fix hopelessness, can't fix the petrol, the, the gas prices at the back. They can't fix anything because they're corrupt. And if you think, oh, well, he's a, he's a, he's a Republican, that they, half of them, most of them are just as corrupt. They're all, they're all on the take. They're all Judases. They've all sold out the country. We need a, a clean sweep. We need a clean sweep. We need a clean sweep. So I say all of that to say this. That when you look at a Charles Spurgeon and a Charles Finney and a, and a John Wesley, when, when you look at a Smith Wigglesworth, when you look at a Billy Graham, when you look at a Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill, they say, they say literally changed the outcome of World War II. Chamberlain came back boasting, oh, I sat with Adolf Hitler, he's a man of his word and, and peace for our time, peace for our time. And Hitler you, you, listen, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I was talking to a pastor the other day and he's like, oh, this is what's going to happen in my future and I've got it in writing, I've got it in writing. I'm like, oh. <laughs> the last 38 years of my life, I've seen people put their faith in writing. It doesn't matter, darling. If you're in a contract with somebody, it has no, the, you can have used the finest ink. You could use a solid gold pen crusted with diamonds. You could have written it on, on, on papyrus that was, that was brought from the, the holy land itself. The contract is only as good as the level of honor in the person's heart that you entered into contract with. I'd love to tell you, I'd love to tell you, the people that have signed contracts, it's a done deal. Wicked people always know a caveat. They always know a way out. They always know a way around a contract. It's, 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 it's a crazy thing. It's, it's the heart of people. It's the integrity of people. It's the level of honor within a person. So, 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 Chamberlain comes back saying, oh, Adolf Hitler is a man of his word. Dear Jesus, are you kidding me? The guy has in his heart to wipe out the entire Jewish race. He's, go he's going to wipe Israel off the, the, the planet. And this idiot is boasting about how peace in our times, peace in our times. But thank God for Winston Churchill who says, he, he literally, literally, you know, never surrender. You know, he, he said that, that the entire Christian civilization is at stake. If we don't rise up and fight, the Christian civilization will be lost to fascism. We must fight. And then he does his, you know, his famous speech. We shall go to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. Winston Churchill. They say it was his courage while they were bombing. And on one of the bombing raids as they, as they were bombing and the, 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 the nation of England were terrified. And his wife looks at him and the, the Luftwaffe were, were coming across and dropping bombs all over England, devastating entire regions. You know what Winston Churchill did? He got his umbrella and he walked outside as bombs were going off and he stood in the middle of the town square with his umbrella. And when the people saw him, their leader, 
standing in the middle of the town square with bombs going off here and buildings being destroyed here with, with the sirens going off and the Luftwaffe going overhead, they saw a courage. This wasn't a guy hiding in a basement. This wasn't a guy piping off from the ivory. This was a man who preached what he lived and lived what he preached. And he put courage in the people. And the world was, 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 was saved in that time. Can I just tell you, you are anointed by God. The Bible says that God gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. But the Bible says you and I have a measure of the Spirit that is on Christ. So what does that mean? That Jesus is, he's the, he got the Holy Spirit without measure. So he is the standard. He's the standard bearer. He is the, the penultimate measure of what a Savior looks like. But the Bible says it's the same Spirit that's on Jesus that he puts on you. So if Jesus was anointed to save, can I tell you that Spirit that is on you is anointed to save. In your family, in your community, in your business, in your workplace, you need to understand the Spirit that rests upon you is the the spirit of a savior. Now here's the beauty. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. I don't have to be crucified for your sins because Jesus already did it. I don't have to die on a cross for you. Jesus already did it. I don't have to defeat death by dying and coming out of the grave on the third day. Jesus already did it. So I, we get it an easier job. We just point to Jesus. But you better believe. Don't believe the lie that there's only one. You are meant to be a savior to your family, a savior to your community, a savior to your workplace, a savior to friends. Everywhere you go, you carry the anointing to save. You carry the Word of God. And as you point to Jesus, you better believe that people get saved. So many lives have been changed just through an encounter, through an impact. God has many, many people that He raises up. I love the story of Esther. Esther was a harem, was a savior to her generation. Gideon, David, incredible. Number two, myth number two is you can't use biblical stories for personal application. You can't use biblical stories for your own personal application. I keep hearing this one over and over. David's story is David. You can't write yourself in there. That's David's story. <laughs> Moses' story is Moses. You can't write yourself in Moses' story. It's Moses. Esther's story is Esther. You can't. I keep hearing this. And I'm like, well, somebody shut off their microphone. And these are Christians saying this garbage. So let me just explain something. The Bible does capture history. Captures the history of the Exodus. Captures the history of David killing Goliath. Captures the, the history of the Philistines oppressing the, the, the Israelites and God having to, you know, raise up Samson and Jephthah and, and Deborah and, you know, Jael. And it, 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 the Bible absolutely captures history. But don't for one minute think that history has captured the Bible. The Bible captures history, just puts it in its pocket. But there's a spirit in this world that wants you to believe that the Bible has been captured by history. That the Bible, the, the, the Bible yes, well, it was written 2,000 years ago. And <laughs> we've so moved on from there. And we've gotten so much more enlightened. We're so much smarter than the Bible now. Yes, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago for different people in different time, different culture, different generation. And we, 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 last time I checked, it's the same God in heaven. It's the same devil. It's the same sinful nature. Ain't nothing changed. 
The, the, the Bible captures history, but it is not being captured. There's no expiration date. Because the Bible was written, the Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. Where, where, where does God lives outside of time. God created time. What would He create time? So the time could come when time would be no more. God created time because He saw sin. He saw sin that brings death. And so God says, I'm going to create time so that I can put the devil, I can put sin, I can put death, I can put sorrow, I can put pain, I can put suffering, I can put exploitation. I can put murder, I, I can put wickedness, I can put all of those things inside of time so that the time can come when time will be no more. God created, but don't ever think for one minute that the Bible has been captured by time like it has an expiration date. So when you read in your Bible about David, when you read in your Bible about Esther, you need to understand understand they were under the same Holy Spirit. They had their day. They had their moment in the sunlight, in the glory. And now they've fallen asleep and they're, 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 they've gone to glory. But now there's a new generation. It's you and I and the same God and the same principles and the same laws and the same power is available for whosoever will pick up the mantle, whosoever will pick up the sword, whosoever will pick up the principles as God. God says, as I was with Moses, Joshua, so shall I be with you? Well, you know, that was just for Moses. I was listening to a podcast and someone said, hey, that's Moses' story. Well, God said, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. All right, you need convincing. Come with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You guys are scallywags, Pastor Marco. Why do you make it so hard for me? I can't believe you'd even say that. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank on, of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, check out what happened to them. And then check yourself before you wreck yourself. Do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admon admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So all of these things were written as examples for our admonition. So when, when people say, well, you know, the Bible was written, and it's not for you, and it's not... It, so, let me just say this. Let me just say this. One, one of my little pet peeves at the moment, Pastor Naomi, is this. My wife and I start the day with coffee. Coffee and the Bible. And if I was honest with you, I believe that as I'm reading the Bible, I'm doing the right thing before God. I'm reading the Bible. I'm having coffee. I'm looking after my beautiful bride. I've got the Bible. She's got her Bible. And I honestly believe, if you said, where is God right now? I'd say he's sitting right next to me. And then every week, he gives her revelations. I'm like, what am I, chopped liver? Like, God, hello, hello, God, God, I'm here too. 
You know the whole part in the Bible where you don't have favorites? Yeah, obviously. So I try not to steal her revelation. But one of her latest revelations is this. That God said to Joshua, and this book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But meditate in it day and night. Then you'll make your, your, your way prosper and you'll have good success. This book of the law. And so I've never really liked that. I've called it the book of life, Chris. I always, you know, I don't, ah, law, legalism. But, but Pastor Leanne, as she's having one of these moments with God, I'm, I'm there, it's awkward. I feel like the third wheel. <laughs> I'm here too, God, in case you've forgotten. Anyway, and so, so he gives her this revelation on the book of the law, like law, law, like it's like a legal book. It's, it's the law, the law of the land. And she says, you know, in, in law, there's a thing called citing precedents. To cite precedents. To cite precedents means that if you go before a judge and the, the, the courts, the, 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 the judge, the court, whether it's the Supreme Court or the Ninth Circuit, what, what, if they have ruled in a similar case in a certain way, you can actually say, Your Honor... I want to cite precedents that in a preceding case, identical to this with the same elements, different people, different people, but the same situation going on. You ruled in this way. And so I'm presenting to the court my case, citing precedents that as you ruled like that over here, the court must honor and the court must be consistent. You have to rule this way over here. Can I just tell you, the greatest lie is, is that, that you can't see yourself in the Scripture because God wants you to bring before Him the book of the law and go to the righteous judge who sits on an incorruptible court and you need to cite precedence. God, you did this for Gideon. God, you did this for Samson. He wasn't perfect. He was messed up. But you were with Samson to deliver. You were with Moses in the wilderness. You were with Joshua. You, you were with Gideon. You were with Jephthah. You were with Esther. You were with David. Deborah, you with JL in the tent, that you can cite precedents. My God, it's a great lie. Two, two great things when you read the Bible. The first thing when you read the Bible is seeing God. As you begin to read, you begin to see God. But it won't be long after, it won't be long after, as you see God, you'll see yourself. Why, why, why is that? Because the Bible says that when God created man, God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness, to, to reflect our image in the earth. So once you see him, it's amazing you'll see yourself. Is there an example of that in Scripture? Good question, Pastor Tessa. There is. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples answer all the popular questions. Well, some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, risen. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I know who you are. I see you. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. As soon as he sees who Jesus is, watch this. Jesus now becomes the mirror and says, I say to you, Simon, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Your parents called you Simon. Your whole life you believed you were Simon. But let me show you who you really, you begin to see yourself in the scriptures. I see myself in this, as I read the scriptures, oh my gosh, I see myself, I see myself 
in Samson. I'm like, oh dear God, like you're using him, but he's jacked up in so many areas. I, don't, I see myself in Saul, a great leader with great authority, but deep insecurities. He's threatened by people better than him. He's always comparing himself to others. And I see myself, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be that kind of lead. And I find myself in repentance. I find the greatest thing that can happen when you read the Bible is you see yourself in there. God wants you to see yourself in the scripture. Don't believe the lie that, you know, God you know, did it for David, but he won't do it for you, that God did it for Gideon, he won't do it. The same God who was with Daniel in the lion's den is the same God who will shut the mouths of the lions in your workplace, in your community. The same God that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace is the same God who'll be with you no matter what you walk through. Somebody say amen. All right, myth number three. Can you handle one more? Myth number three. I heard a preacher say this. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Pastor Ron, that, that we still have Pharisees. Because he said this, God is not good, he's holy. I'm sick and tired of hearing the people say God is good. God is not good, he's holy. And it sounds so like, whoa. So like anything, anything that anybody says, it doesn't matter what title, they can call themselves the bishop, apostle of the prophetic, evangelistic, pastor, teaching, outreach, first church of the heavenly Himalayan. It, 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 if it doesn't line up with Scripture. So have a look in, in Psalm 118 verse, uh, Psalm, yeah, Psalm 118 verse 1. And, and let me just tell you about Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is the psalm to, to go to. If you're, if you're like ever struggling with like a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression, discouragement, going through a difficult time, Psalm 118 is better than any prescription you can get. You don't need to take happy pills. You don't need, you know, Jack Daniels might turn up and say, hey, what about when you and I get together? You can say, Jack, I got something better. Psalm 118. Hasta mañana, hasta luego. Don't let the door hit you with the good Lord split you. Raus aus meiner Haus. All right, have a look at this. Psalm 118, verse 1. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is and his mercy endures forever. That's the first verse. And then, then it just goes on. Like in verse 5, I call on the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on, on my side. I will not fear what command. It just, it's an incredible psalm. Like, we don't have time. But first verse, and then the last verse is verse 29. Last, last verse. So God bookends this entire psalm with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endureth forever. In Psalm 100, verse 5, Again, we see, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. All the way through the scriptures, you will see that God is good, that God is good. A.W. Tozer said the, the, the most important thing about a human being, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you, when you hear the word God. Whatever comes into your mind when you hear the word God or think God is the most important thing about you. He went on to say that no nation or civilization has ever been able to rise above its perception of God, whether that be good or evil. If you believe that God is mean, if you believe that God is nasty, if you believe that God is uncaring, 
there's all these doctrines out there that the, the God is sovereign and he does what he pleases. And, and it sounds true. And, and the greatest way for, for the devil to, to, to stick a lie is to have like 95, 97% truth in there with just a little bit of arsenic. If I, if I gave you a glass of water and I put a couple of drops of arsenic in there, you can't even see it because it's clear. And you're like, my God. It's, and if you were to, to, you know, to test it, it'd be 99% water and 1% arsenic. Deadly. It's only 1%. 99% of it is water. But that 1% is enough to kill you. It's how the devil operates. So we hear all of this, you know, that God is sovereign and does whatever he pleases. Well, really? Really? When I read my Bible, the reason we're in this mess, the reason God had to leave heaven is because obviously... You and I have free will. Adam sinned in the garden. Man chose themselves over God. The Bible says there are none righteous. No, not one. All like sheep have gone astray. No one does good. No one does what is right. The Bible says, and God saw this and wondered that why there was no one to save. So God himself left heaven and hung on a cross. He hung on a cross because you and I weren't going to get it right by ourselves. So he had, he had to come and he had to atone. He had to give his life so that we could have everlasting life. So we have this, 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 this nonsense that God is holy and he's not good. He is so good that he took your sin and my sin upon the cross. Uh, this, this last week I was with um, a whole bunch of pastors. There were seven of us. And we're all senior pastors, and many of us have uh, multiple campuses. And it was just a really powerful time of connecting and praying for one another, praying with one another, exchanging stories. You know, it, it was just awesome. And uh, one of the pastors, Pastor Jared Ming, uh, he's going to be here, I think, in a couple of weeks. And he was just sharing how uh, they're all into golf. And he was in St. Andrews in Scotland. And he was on the 18th hall in Scotland. And just as they got their, 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 their shot, their 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 wee little white ball onto the, onto the green. And they're walking up there to, to see if they can, you know, putt to at least make par. And he says, as soon as they got onto the 18th hole, it started to hail. He says, the reason they got on, they didn't realize the reason they got on so easily was because it was winter and nobody wanted to play. <laughs> and he said, you know, and so, so they're on there and it started to hail. And they had this tremendous round. It was freezing, blistering wind, cold, but now it was hailing and they were sent, uh, had these sirens to get people off because it was lightning and hail. And he said, he stood on the 18th hole and he says, man, we're almost finished. Like in, in three minutes, five minutes time, we'll, we'll be finished. And he just said, he just said this. And they had a caddy with them. And he just said, really, God? Really? God, come on. We've come all this way. He says, no sooner had he finished praying the prayer with the caddy trying to get him in, that the rain suddenly stopped. The hail stopped. He said, the caddy looked around because he, he heard Pastor Jared pray out loud. He says, and then it was like the clouds parted just where they were. And sunlight came onto the 18th green. And he thought, I'm going to make the putt. He missed the putt. He missed the putt. Hey, you have not because you asked not. He just asked for the rain to stop. He didn't ask to make the putt. Just saying, don't shoot the preacher. I'm just telling the truth. And he said, when they, put the, when they put the flag back in, picked up their stuff, shook hands, you know, take, shook hands. He says, as they stepped off the green, the hail started coming again. 
The, 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 the caddy had never seen anything like it. He knew these were men of God. I heard a preacher in Australia, and I, I tell you, there's nothing more dangerous than a successful preacher. Abraham Lincoln said, if you really want to test what's in a man, don't give him trials. Any man will do the right thing. Any man will draw nearer to God when he's suffering trials. He says, if you really want to see what's in a man's heart, give him success. Human beings and success, my God, we become so arrogant. We become obnoxious. You you see the worst of people when they, they feel like I'm the king of the world. You see the worst in people. And I was listening to this particular preacher and, and he was having a season of success. And then he, he from the pulpit, publicly excoriates a couple that had the audacity, the audacity, he said, to call him on the morning of the, the, their wedding when he was officiating their wedding and saying, hey, pastor, please, would you pray? The forecast is for rain and we've, we've organized the reception to be outdoors and you know, all the outdoor tablecloths and table seatings and flower arrangements. And, and now the forecast is it's, it's meant to rain. Pastor, please, would you pray that it doesn't rain? Please pray. And then he goes on this rant. He goes, you know, how dare they selfish Christians pray that God would give them when the farmers need rain. The farmers need rain. How selfish that on their wedding day, they want sunshine. And I'm listening and there are people going, amen, amen, amen. And I'm like, really? Like how, how, how small is your God? Wow, if I was you, I'd, tra- I'd, I'd go right now, right now, go, go down to a, 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 trade your God in. Trade him in. He's just, I call him Minnie <laughs> go, go, go and get, go and get the, like, my God in the Bible, the Bible says, the Bible says that there was darkness in Egypt, but there was light in Goshen. The Bible says that when the hail fell on the crops in Egypt, not one hailstone touched one crop in Goshen where God's people were. The Bible says that when the, the blight and the mildew hit Egypt, there was no blight or mildew in any of the homes of, of the Israelites. The Bible says when the, the cattle were struck in Egypt, not one cattle had a, a tick or disease in Israel. God is able to, you, you, are, you, are you serious? You, you, you don't think that God can put, put rain and fill the reservoirs of the farmers while at the same time showering a couple who are making their vows and going into a lifetime covenant together that God can't bring them sunshine how small is your but there's this there's this 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 lie out there that God is not good God is good I loved hearing Pastor John and Becky's story when we sold our dream home when we sold our dream home 13 months ago we sold our dream home I, I, I love the fact that I think my beautiful is on her fourth dream home And let me just tell you this, this probably won't be her last. I don't want it to be her last. She needs to keep dreaming because it keeps me in faith. Keeps me before God. If you've already built your dream home, why did you, why did you stop dreaming? Why did you quit dreaming? Keep dreaming. You should keep dreaming. I've discovered that God is good. He is good. All the time, He is good. He is a good God. Jesus, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Because the young man came to him and said, good teacher. He says, oh, you just see me as a teacher. You don't see who I really am. 
I want you to look deeper. I'm God. You just see me as a teacher. What must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Oh, darling, you can't. You can't do anything. It has to be done for you. If you could do it, it would have been done by somebody long before you got here. So Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He says, oh, all these I've kept. <laughs> all these I've kept since I was a youth. And she's like, really? That makes just two of us. All right. Let's see if you are so, sell everything you have, give to the poor. Follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. He couldn't do it. Just thought, isn't that interesting? Because I gave up everything I had in heaven to follow God's purpose for my life. And I'm going to be crucified on a cross. You're saying that like me, you're the only person who's kept all the commandments. Covetousness, pride, insecurity, fear dominates your heart. You need somebody to do it for you. You can't do it yourself. God is good. When I first got saved, I got saved on a beach, and all I discovered was the goodness of God. I, I, I knew that God was real, and I knew He saved me, but I, I wasn't yet introduced to Him. Somebody gave me a Bible, and they said, hey, you know, here, now that you're a Christian, you need to read this. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I put it in a drawer. I wasn't going to read it. I even said to God, God, I'm going to follow you, but I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not going to church, just so we're clear. Because I knew people that read the Bible at school, they were weird. Weird people. I'm like, I don't want to be weird. And then all the church going, all the happy, clappy, pray the Lord. They were just weird as well. So I, I want to follow you. I just don't want to be weird. And God's like, oh, dear, the people are weird. My Bible's not weird and my church isn't meant to be weird. They're just weird people in there. Stop it. So I go through this crisis. I have nowhere else to go. And then this voice says to me, read the Bible, read the Bible. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. And as I read it, God began to speak to me. For 38 years, I've been reading this book, reading this book, reading this book. I've got to be honest with you. What I read blew my mind. But even more than that, what blew my mind was backed up. The goodness of God. The goodness of God. He is good. I was honestly convinced after one year of being a Christian, if it was possible, for me to pluck the eyes out of my head and stick them into the eye sockets of an atheist, if that atheist would then open his eyelids and look through my eyes and see how good God is, he would fall on his knees and give his life to Christ. God is so good. God is, God is good in the details. He is good in the, the, the moments. He is good in the micro. He is good in the macro. For, for 38 years, we've been following Christ. I remember being brokenhearted over a girl that I thought I was going to marry. She dumped me. Me. Hola. And she dumped me. On the way to Bible study of all places. Like, honestly, girls, if you're going to break up with a guy, on the way to Bible study, don't say, hey, by the way, I don't know how to tell you this, but I just want to be friends. Oh, really? Yeah. Why don't you just plunge that knife into the cavity of my, tear out my beating heart and just throw it out on the freeway? No, no, no. Let trucks and other motorized vehicles just run over it. I was, sh I was, and I'm crying on my bed. God, God, I want her back. God, I want her back. And God says, she's not the one I have for you. I'm like, what? And he showed me a picture of a girl I'd never talked to. 
He said, this is the one that I have for you. And it was my, my beautiful Leanne. I'm like, oh God, that's impossible. Like never tell God something's impossible. I said, God, that's Im- impossible. You know, I, I passed her once in church. I thought, wow, she's cute. That's it. Never talk to her. The next Sunday I'm in church and, and Monica Hartley, who was a gossip, who had a crush on me. And she comes up to me, she goes, I know someone who likes you. And I'm like, I know it's you, Monica. I know it. <laughs> and I think she was hoping. She was hoping. And so she goes, Leanne Gray. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Because God just spoke to me in a vision that this, I know that God is good. My, when my mother was dying in 2008, she died on on. April 5th, 2008. And I was praying because God was doing miracles in our church. We had a lady with like stage four cancer get completely healed. And my mother is getting worse in Australia. And so this one morning I got up, my, my brother had called and said, mom's taking a turn for the worse. And I said, God, I don't get it. You heal people that I don't even, I can't even remember their names, but my own mama, come, what? I, I don't get it. And then the word of the Lord comes to me and says, I'm going to give you a daughter and she'll comfort you when your mother comes home to heaven. I was so excited. It was like 4.45 in the morning. I raced home, shook my wife and she's like, what? I'm like, babe, babe, God just spoke to me. She's like, tell me in the morning. I'm like, no, babe, babe, we're going to have a daughter. She goes, not out of this body. She goes, besides, you only know how to make boys because we had three boys. Six weeks later, six weeks later, she's pregnant and I knew immediately it's a little girl. When we went to the ultrasound, the, the, the uh, nurse doing the ultrasound says, you know, what have you got? And I said, we've got three boys. She goes, oh, you're ready for a fourth? I said, oh, no, this one's a girl. She goes, wishful thinking. I said, oh, not wishful thinking. God spoke to me. She goes, I don't believe in God. I said, well, you're about to. I said, it's a little girl. She goes, do you know the odds? I said, I don't care about the odds. I'm telling you, God spoke to me. And she goes, oh, oh my, oh my God, it's a little girl. Can I just tell you, Jesus said this about God. He said, look at the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Yet Solomon in all his splendor wasn't arrayed like one of these. How much more does your heavenly Father clothe you? How much more does your heavenly Father know the things that you need? God is good. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. God is good. God is good. God is good. I love hearing the stories of Pastor Charles and Tessa two of the most faithful humans for years, for years, just renting a beautiful home, raising their kids, raising their beautiful daughters, beautiful part of San Diego. And then they sit in this church where they hear that God is good, that rather than having having a landlord, you can be Lord over land. And then they put in so many offers and they kept falling through, kept falling through, and I couldn't figure it out. We took communion in one of them. And I'm like prophesying, I'm believing God and it fell through. I'm like, and then the Lord spoke to me and he says, Charles was robbed of a fatherly blessing. He said, you step in proxy 
and you lay your hands as his father and you release over him the father blessing the very next property that they put there is is now there it's much better isn't it and then i prophesied double for their trouble and then within i think it was 18 months they didn't have one property they had two properties that one and a rental property let me just tell you god is no respecter of persons He's a respecter of His Word. He's no respecter of principles. He's a respect. If He'll do it for them, He'll do it for you. If He'll do it for me, He'll do it for you. If He'll do it for Pastor John and Becky, He'll do it for you. If He'll do it for Pastor Naomi, He'll do it for you. Come on, lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are good. Jesus is my Savior, but I am called to go out and bring that salvation to others. I thank You the spirit of a savior rests upon my life i thank you heavenly father today that the stories in the bible are there for me to cite precedents if you did it for them you'll do it for me if you defeated goliath for david you'll do it for me i thank you today lord god that you are good and that your goodness will be seen in my life in jesus name Amen. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.